Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 19-24, called, No One Can Serve Two Masters. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or mammon. Lord, as we consider your holy word, we want to have ears to hear what your spirit would say to your people in this hour. Jesus, these are your words, and you are the king. You are our master. We want to have ears to submit to the master. We would all confess, Lord, that sometimes we wrestle with not just trying to serve two masters, but maybe even more than two. And you say it can't be done. We need understanding so that we can know what you're saying, who you were saying it to, and how we apply it today. So would you give us understanding? Would you give, a, give us a heart sensitive to our king's voice that you might be glorified both in the teaching and the response to your holy word? I pray that in the mighty and matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. No one can serve two masters. When Jesus uses the word master, that's the Greek word kurios. It's spelled K-U-R-I-O-S if you're a note taker. And in the ancient world, there were master-slave relationships. This existed in much of the ancient world. Israel interacted with this reality. We see that in the law of the bondservant in Exodus 21. But historians say that as much as one-third to one-half of the Roman world, and remember, it's the Roman world when the New Testament is being written. Rome is occupying Israel at this time. About up to one-half of the Roman world was in some form of servitude, a master-servant relationship. So when Jesus says no one can serve two masters, he's reaching in to his world at that time and drawing that image, which for some of us, it's hard to understand kingdom images because in the ancient world, there were really just kings and kingdoms, and that's not what we live in today. We live in a, you know, a republic. It's supposed to be a constitutional republic based upon the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... And uh, But the, a form where there's a king and a kingdom and whatever the king says goes is a little bit foreign to us. And a master-slave relationship is a little bit foreign to us as well. We know the tragedy of slavery in our country, which was finally abolished, praise God. 
But it was a little different in the ancient world. Some say the parallel is an employee-employer relationship. Uh, it may be that, but it's not quite that as well. But here's what was going on. If you were in some form of servitude, either you sold yourself into slavery to pay off a debt, or you were born into slavery, or whatever it might be, this was very familiar imagery. And this is what Jesus draws upon as he says, no one can serve two masters. And the synonym for master is Lord. Now, if you do a little study on the word for master or Lord, and you look in the lexicons, they'll say that people could address someone as a Lord, and it would be almost like saying sir today. So if you said nice to meet you, sir, or thank you, sir, it could have that connotation. But for our purposes this morning, to say Lord means my master. You master, I servant. You king, I'm citizen and I'm going to do what you say. That's what Jesus is drawing upon as he says, no one can serve two lords or two masters. I would imagine with a room like this and those who are watching and will later listen to this hopefully on Christian radio that we all could say that we wrestle with enthroning or re-enthroning Jesus as Savior and Lord of our hearts. I should say Lord of our hearts, right? Making him king every day, whether it's a Monday morning or a Friday night or a Sunday morning. But this is what Jesus is getting at. The parallel uh, word in Hebrew for the Greek word kurios is Adonai. Some of you have heard that before. The root of Adonai is Adon. If you look up that word in the Hebrew picture language, the the word Adonai means the first judge. And Dr. Seekin says it's whoever you make your first judge or run things past as to whether you should or shouldn't do something. Adonai means my first judge. Should I do this? Should I not do this? It's all based upon running it past whoever is the God or the Lord of my life. In this case, Jesus is Lord. When you prayed, if you prayed a sinner's prayer sometime in your life history, you asked Jesus to be your Lord. I'm not sure if every, every one of us knew what that meant. And if certainly we grow. You know, we, we confess Jesus as Lord and then we realize what Lordship actually means. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord, when you confess him as Lord in your heart and you make a public declaration, you gotta understand what the word Lord means. It means master. It means what he says, that's what you do. Now, no one will ever do that perfectly without spot or blemish, but the goal of every Christian disciple's life is to be more and more under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's really what the gospel of Matthew is all about. It's about the kingdom of God and what it means to serve the king. I would just say to you, it's not enough to say that you prayed a sinner's prayer as a teenager and you got your security in your pocket and then you go on like you don't know who your Lord is. That should not be the case. And I'm not sure that that's really biblical uh, salvation, frankly. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. But there's an expectation that there will be fruit from a genuine transformation. If Jesus is your Lord... I would imagine that there would be a trajectory of his lordship being shown in your life. Amen? I mean, that's just a basic 101 expectation. We're saved by grace. I don't want anybody to get this wrong. Through faith, it's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. But our response to that salvation should be that we are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And again, we're all going to grow. It's going to take time. 
to understand what that means. Now, our Lord is addressing the issue of wealth and how to put it in its proper perspective in verses 19 and 20. If you like structure, let me give you a little structure. Verse 19 is a command. Verse 20 is a corrective. There are only two major topics here. One is money. The second one for next Sunday will be worry. That's really all we're dealing with. And then we'll kind of just walk that out. So the first topic is wealth or mammon or money. Jesus puts it this way. Here's the command. Do not lay up or store up for yourselves. You might want to mark that for yourselves. Treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's what you are not to do. That's the command. Here's the corrective. What should I do? Well, lay up or store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And I think we all can understand what rust does to things. You know, you get a brand new shiny car, you, you buy it, you build a 10-foot perimeter around it, you, don't, you warn people on threat of death that they can't touch it, and uh, then you get that first scratch. Oh, no, right? And life is almost over, right? But you realize that as time goes by, the natural elements of life, whether it's a scratch or rust, you know, sometimes you look underneath a, a car and it's rusted, or if you've owned a home for a while, especially if sprinklers will hit like wrought iron fencing, you know how it rusts out, and eventually rust you know, has a way of deteriorating things that were once brand new. We, all, we get the concept of rot, rust. If you've ever had a moth get into your closet, how they get there, I don't know. But maybe they've eaten through a sport coat or a dress or something like that. It's really a weird phenomenon that that happens. And then some of you have experienced a thief breaking into your home or your car. Some of you have had this happen more than once and stealing your stuff. And they know that if they steal up to $999 in the state of California, it's not a big deal. That's just where we're at, as nuts as that is. And so Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't store up things that are liable to both decay, things that will wear out, if you will, and being stolen. So some, some have asked, in light of this teaching, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean I should have a bank account? Does that mean I should have no backup clothing? Does that mean I shouldn't own a home and we can walk it out from there? And some in the ancient world, some church fathers took that literally and felt like living in utter poverty is the right response to Jesus's teaching. But I don't think that's true because Peter owned a house. Jesus stayed at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. People out of their resources gave to Jesus and his work and the early church sold homes and property, but sometimes they held on to it and gave it to the work of the kingdom, laid it at the apostles' feet. I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's, he even is saying that wealth is a big problem for his disciples. I'm not sure that most of them even knew what wealth was like. They were living pretty much day to day. Maybe Matthew had money who's the author of our uh, letter or our gospel. So what is Jesus saying? Perhaps the key uh, to Mark as a Bible student is for yourselves. Don't lay up or store up treasure for yourselves.
Hey, I'm producer Rob. Since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on eight radio stations. Now, we're excited to tell you, this month, we have begun broadcasting in San Diego. So if you're listening from there, welcome. We hope that this teaching is a blessing to you. So now we're on two radio stations in Southern California, one in Northern California in the Bay Area, Arizona, Idaho, Utah, and two in Georgia, reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. In addition, we have listeners all over the world, like in South Africa, Nepal, Australia, the United Kingdom, Pakistan, and Israel, thanks to our podcast. The country where we have the second most listeners is India. Fewer than 3% of the population are Christians there. The point is, the hope of the gospel is getting around. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth by giving at least $5 a month and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness. And also, thank you for contributing to the joy in learning God's Word and feeling Him close. Now, Walk in Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, the podcast, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and to expand into more radio stations as God provides. Now, our current level of listener financial support is not quite 50% yet, and we are praying for more listeners to become part of the Walk in Truth team. Can you give a one-time tax-deductible Christmas gift today? or become a monthly partner of at least $10 a month, please help us reach 50% listener support before the year ends. Call 844-48-TRUTH to give. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH or give at walkintruth.com. And thank you so much on behalf of Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you to all our Walk in Truth financial partners, and be sure to check out our Walk in Truth app, available in your app store. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Don't lay up or store up treasure for yourselves. If you are enamored so much with wealth that it becomes all about selfish gain, it's all about you building your kingdom, and it's all about you know, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. I was reading about a millionaire from years past. His name was Gould. And he said he, he got his millions, but he said he destroyed many lives in the process. He, you know, and some, some people are in industries where in order to get to the top, they had to step on a lot of heads, so to speak. And if that's how you got your wealth, then money is indeed your God and obviously it's been destructive in your life. So what do we do? What, what is the right way to see wealth and how we handle it? I don't think the Bible is against wealth. I don't think that Jesus is saying that living in poverty is the only way to live. And I think we're all grateful for that because we'd all be in big trouble, right? We live in a very affluent society. Most of us own a home and a couple of cars, and we, we have pretty much everything we need, and we don't even really worry about what we're going to eat. We worry more about where we're going to eat and whether or not the people we're with agree that we should eat at that particular location, even though we, sometimes we say we don't care and we ask them the question. 
Where do you want to eat? But we really have a few things in mind. So here's the thing. We're, we've been learning about the Lord's Prayer, and we've been learning to ask for our daily bread. But in the backdrop of Jesus' sermon is a group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. If you look at Matthew 5.20, if you're uh, new to us and you haven't been with us so far, this is one of the foundational verses of understanding Jesus' comments. I say to you, Matthew 5.20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what we learned about the scribes and the Pharisees is that they were very religious But their religion was all about being seen by people. Just a quick review. In chapter 6, 1 through 4, they blew the trumpet whenever they gave to the poor. They sounded the trumpet, look at me. In verses 5 through 8 of chapter 6, they prayed long prayers to impress people on the street corner for pretense, to impress. They were the hypocrites. They were the the play actors. They were playing a role. And finally, when they fasted, They were all disheveled, and they contorted their face. What's what's wrong with you today? I'm fasting. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. And Jesus over and over said, if you live that way, if your religion is about the applause of men, you have your reward in full. You have more treasures on earth. You just amassed more. Oh, how impressive. Look at the long prayer that he prayed. More treasures on earth. More treasures on earth. That's what they were doing. They were stacking earthly treasure because all they cared about was earthly applause. That's the issue here. So whenever Jesus was preaching a sermon, they had their little entourage there, the scribes and the Pharisees. And they weren't all bad, but they were largely corrupt. And when Jesus deals with money, you need to see that the Pharisees were lovers of money. In fact, Jesus will say in Mark 12, 40, good verse to write down, Mark 12, 40, that they made long prayers for pretense and they devoured widows' houses. Here's the modern face of that. A preacher goes on Christian television and says stuff like this. I believe that someone right now needs to send me their social security check in the name of Jesus. And here's what has been exposed. Some secular news organizations have exposed these ministries and they've filmed them throwing the prayer requests in the trash, never praying over them, but they certainly keep the money. And that's the modern face of what the Pharisees were doing. They were devouring widows' houses. God's heart is for the orphan and the widow. That's true undefiled religion. But they were manipulating these people and saying, you need to give me your money, leaving them in want for their gain. Money had become their God. Do you see it? It almost reminds me of when President Trump is giving a speech. This may be a very poor analogy, but you know that when he talked, especially when he was giving speeches all the time, he always pointed out the group in the back. What did he call them? The fake news, right? Now, I'm not drawing a parallel between Donald Trump and Jesus, okay? Please. Don't get me wrong here. This is just an illustration, 
okay? He was always aware of that group, and whether he was right or wrong, whether it was all fake news or not, is irrelevant to my point. Jesus was always well aware of the group standing there. And so his words often were targeted at them. It doesn't mean they're not a warning for us, but he's probably specifically having them in mind, which I think is helpful so that we don't go to the extreme in responding to this, but I think the warning still sits there for the modern disciple. We gotta be careful. Because this is what our Lord said, and we live in a very prosperous land. We suffer from a uh, virus called affluenza. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. (laughs) So what do we do? And here's here's the bigger question, I think, for anybody who's looking at this. How does one store up treasure in heaven? How do you get it there? What does that mean? I understand, you know, putting extra food in a pantry or saving up for retirement, that kind of stuff. But how does one store up treasure in heaven? Let me just give you a couple of things uh, to keep in mind. Number one, the book of Proverbs points out the ant as an image or an illustration. And the lazy person is told to look at the ant, Proverbs 6, 6, observe his, her ways and be wise which having no chief officer or ruler, speaking of an ant, prepares her food in the summer, gathers her provisions in the harvest. Ants will put away the food so they have it when they need it. When Joseph was in Egypt under uh, the Pharaoh, he recommended that they save seven years during years of plenty so that they would have food in the years of famine. And Joseph was raised up in Egypt because of that. We know how God used that, even gets to get uh, Jacob and his children there. And so uh, it even says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, Proverbs 13, 22, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's an interesting verse. The righteous, he goes on to say, has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in want. You've been listening to No One Can Serve Two Masters, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Okay, when we hear about no one can serve two masters, if you've heard this before, you know where it's going, right? You cannot serve God and mammon. And we know mammon means money. And so does this mean that I should not be pursuing business, like uh, a comfortable life that I could provide for my family? Should I, should I just be getting enough to, you know, make uh, top ramen every night? I mean, what does this really mean? Well, it's all captured in the word serve. Who do you serve? Now, it's been said that money is a wonderful servant 
but a terrible master. It's all about who is your God. Many people in the Bible were blessed and prosperous. You can think of Job and Abraham and David and Solomon. I mean, there's there's many that were uh, materially prosperous. And it didn't mean that they were less spiritual for it or out of God's will. You should work hard at your job. And since we live in America, most of you listening live in America, um, we live in a place where you can really start a business and, and do very well for yourself. And I pray it stays that way. And hard work does pay off and the Bible does teach that. So how do we balance this? Let me let me just circle back to what I said earlier. It's about who you serve. If you serve Jesus and he provides a good life for you, a comfortable life, and your priorities are straight, that's fine. But if money becomes your God and you serve it rather than him, then it's an idol. And that's the simple way to parse it out. I have a lot of friends and people I know who are well-to-do financially, but the kingdom of God is their priority. And they bless many people because they're prosperous in their business or whatever, and they're, they have the gift of giving, and, and that can be a good thing as well. So this is not about you can't work hard, try to do your best, you know, make a good amount of money. That's not what this is about. It's about who you serve. No one can serve two lords. That's the deal. This is Pastor Michael, and we are moving through the incredible gospel of Matthew. We will see you right here tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, called No One Can Serve Two Masters. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walking Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.